This episode was brought to you by 69 and Sunny, a modern schoolhouse for self-exploration. Hi, everyone. Dr. Kim Smith-Whitley provided us with a lot of information on vaccines this episode and wanted us to provide this clarification on the different viral vectors that are being used before we start the podcast. Here's the CDC information on viral vector vaccines. Quote, a number of human clinical trials have been conducted for viral vector vaccines against different infectious diseases, including Zika virus, influenza viruses, RSV, HIV, and malaria. Two Ebola vaccines using viral vector technology have been used in recent Ebola outbreaks in West Africa and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, end quote. There are no other mRNA vaccines clinically available. There are animal models on mRNA vaccines for influenza under investigation. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Yes, yes. Welcome everyone to the Crescent Foundation podcast. I'm Kyle, co-founder and CEO of Crescent Foundation, here with my incredible co-founders. I'm Tahira Austin Muhammad. I'm Chief Operations Officer and co-founder of Crescent. Hey, and I'm Adiomi Utaglari, also co-founder and Chief Marketing and Communications Officer. So podcasts, you know, why are we doing a podcast? We know that September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month, but literally we live with this disease every day and it should be highlighted as such. Um, So we felt like uh, our hope is just to keep this in the front of everyone's minds as well. Um, And, you know, to kind of keep the conversation moving. Uh, Do y'all have anything to add about why we're doing this or why this is important? I mean, I think it's just important to to have these conversations. Um, The sickle cell ecosystem is changing and and shifting, and we just want to make sure that we continue to um, stay informed ourselves and also share the knowledge with um, those who are able to listen. I agree, Adiomi. I am all about giving people... um, actual facts and having them make an informed decision um, and, and, and it be for ourselves as well. And so open dialogue is best and there's no, nothing more pleasurable than to do it with, you know, co-founders and leaders in the sickle cell community. So. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, well, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm happy to be doing this podcast with you too. Um, so, Let's, let's jump right into it. You know, we have our first segment, uh, which is what we call our body scan. Uh, this is something that I like to do every morning before I start my day, just as a check of how I'm fully feeling physically. Uh, and that usually can dictate my day, unfortunately. Uh, as people with sickle cell, we definitely can just live in pain, whether it be chronic, acute, what have you. Um, and since these pods will be coming out pretty regularly, um, we'll be doing these body scans uh, as often as they come out um, because a lot can happen, you know, you know, within two days, five days, seven days, you know, what have you. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of ebbs and flows. We just want to make sure that we're being honest with you all, um, but also with ourselves. Um, so I'll go first. I'll <laughs> talk about how I'm feeling. Um, you know, the changes in weather, I don't know about y'all, but the changes in weather be your boy be struggling out here on a struggle bus, yeah. for sure. You know, like it's like I, I have definitely been experiencing um, way more pain than than usual, um, and you know that's never a good thing. Just because uh, then I have to, you know, 
take Motrin or maybe some type of other pain medication, just like, mm, uh, you know, I like to, to always feel like I have all of my senses and faculties about me. And it just mm-hmm. kind of puts me in um, not the clearest state of mind. And I always just kind of want to be as sharp as possible. So um, mm-hmm. I am feeling better uh, as it stands. We are recording this on a Monday night, uh, 7, 15 PM. I'm feeling better, you know, uh, two out of 10 on the pain scale, which is, you know, we'll take that. We'll take that. Yeah. So, take um, you know, take it, take it, you know, minute by minute. Absolutely. Um, I'll go next. So, uh, Today's Monday. I'm feeling pretty, pretty good. I'm definitely a one out of 10. Um, I did get my um, monthly infusion of a DAC VO this morning. And so I don't know if I was telling you all before, but each time I get my infusion, um, I get like a, a boost of energy. And I don't know what it is about this medicine, but it comes on really strong and I'm like powering forward and then I crash. Um, but then within 24 hours, I'm back to like a normal baseline of my normal energy. Um, but definitely last week I was on a struggle bus as well. Uh, last Wednesday, I actually, um, I did not work and that's really unlike me. Like I, I'll usually power through pain, um, and even work because working is my distraction. And instead of just laying around and focusing on pain, um, I'll work through it, but it got bad last week where I could not work through it. And I actually just had to take some medicine and go to sleep. And I slept all day. I think I woke up at 2 a.m. and my whole house was dark <laughs> and everyone was sleeping. I was like foraging for food. <laughs> and so, um, but I am like back to myself um, on a pain scale. And I, I'm definitely a control freak. Uh, Kyle. And so I'm like, you, if I can't control what's going on, I will power through the pain instead of taking meds because I like to also be in my, my right mind. And I like to remember conversations. And if my meds cause me not to remember a conversation, I'm not um, pleased with myself. And so, um, but last week I had to you know, make a a, a, a a very important choice to just, you know, go lay down, get some rest and not work and not look at a computer. Take a time out. Take a time yep. out. Sure. Yep. Yeah. That's super important. I think that kind of leads me into like for how I'm feeling. Like my body is fine. I feel like a zero out of 10 from a pain standpoint, but mentally like burnout is real, you know, and I feel like we just are in this new way of working um, where we're constantly looking at screens and um, getting mentally exhausted. So on a scale of one to 10 there, I think I'm at like a seven, you know, from a mental standpoint, um, which then could lead into physical, you know, um, pain and crises. So just trying to be sensitive around that um, and taking more, more time to, um, move slowly and more cautiously, you know, um, I feel like when I'm a little bit lower on the scale of um, mental capacity, I tend to like make more errors or um, mm-hmm. just move too quickly and injure myself or, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I am. Um, I'm very trying to just be very um, aware of that reality. And and yeah. those things like they aren't separate from one another, right? At you know, all. like, because yeah. it's like, if you, Goes- you are experiencing burnout and like just the the mental, you know, pressures is just, that can, le- you know, manifest as physical pain. You know what yes. I mean? And like, you, yeah. said, you know, you triggered me because I think that I wasn't only having, you know, of course, like physical pain, but also just, 
you know, um, anxiety about like deadlines that I had mm-hmm. to make or, you know, like that part that I had to do in my, my personal life, you know, like it's just all of these other, you know, the compounding factors. Um, yeah. so no, that's, that's, that's so real. That's so real. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stressing for, for me, uh, definitely that's one of my major triggers for a crisis. Mm-hmm. I, it has always been. And the, I, I noticed it in high school, but definitely in college, that's when, you know, Dr. Kim and I was like, stress puts me down and it could be schoolwork. And now in my adult life is work, work. Um, And last week it got rough and I had to like close both laptops and say enough is enough. (laughs) I'm done. So yeah, I definitely feel that. This episode was brought to you by 69 and Sunny, a modern schoolhouse for self-exploration. So today's hot topic is very relevant um, and we're bringing an expert to help us understand some things a little bit better um, later on in our podcast. So, but before we talk about that amongst ourselves, um, I want to uh, read you all a quick story about Krispy Kreme. I mean, I feel like the stories get more and more outrageous each time um, I look in the news, but Krispy Kreme. They got the... Is the the red light? Is it is it on or <laughs> the red the red? So Krispy Kreme promo offers free donut with proof of COVID nineteen vaccination. So let's just read this real quick. How sweet it is! Krispy Kreme announced Monday: people who have been vaccinated against COVID nineteen can get a free original glazed donut at U.S. shops, as long as they show a valid inoculation record card as part of the promo. So uh, they tweeted out, well, we like to show sweet support to the, like even the words, <laughs> we like to show sweet support to those who have received the COVID-19 vaccine. This is um, a, North Bar- a North Carolina-based donut company said, but this promo is for uh, all across the U.S. for Krispy Kreme. Um, so I don't know when it's going to start. Oh, actually I do. So this will run through the end of 2021. So that's until the end of the year. You have Oh, I, I got I got a few more. I mean, months. How? Can that. you go every time? I can go more than once a yeah. day. We need like, to know. <laughs> the offer is limited to pastry per day with no purchase required. There are so a you lot basically going just on. go show your paper. There's a lot going on in this. <laughs> show your paper today. Go get your go, go back tomorrow. Right. Well, well, what if you got two vaccines? That means you got to get two donuts? I don't know. They just want to see your valid card. Can I just say say something really quickly? We didn't didn't prepare for this story. (laughs) To hear what is out of of left field. (laughs) So everything we were about to say is like pure, like, you know, just... Our, our pure reactions and I'm just really excited because this is like this is insane this story is is insane this marketing promotion I don't you know can't, who you can't make it up because it, it, what happens is you know you're on social media and you see someone screenshot something and then you're like wait that can't be true like it's a meme it's not real and then you google it and it's like wait it's in the New York Post. It's in the Daily News. It's it's real. Yeah. What do you I, say about that? Like, what are I your just, thoughts about the COVID nineteen vaccine? Let's just go. Let's just start there. 
anyone can go first. <laughs> let's go with our CEO. I'm picking. Okay, listen, listen. This is this is what I'm here for. You know, um, I, I don't think it's it's no one's uh, surprise here on this call on this podcast that I am pro vaccine. You know, I, I like I said, it's Monday. I got my second dose this past Saturday. My arm was hurting for a little bit. Um, yesterday, I got some chills, you know, took some Motrin. I had like some muscle aches, maybe around nine in the morning. Didn't feel anything throughout, throughout the rest of the day until again, maybe like around 8 p.m. Um, but I'm still, I'm still here, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, like nothing has happened to me. Um, but I, it was important for me to get the vaccine um, because I knew that I wanted to have some type of a resemblance of my normal life in terms of feeling safer going places um, to really protect myself, to protect my loved ones. Um, my mom got fully vaccinated, you know, before me, you know, which I was really happy about. We'll talk about it another time in terms of, you know, her just kind of getting her second dose and thinking, you know, she could go anywhere, but that's a different, that's a different conversation. You know, that's, that's a different conversation, but um, no, I, I, but I, I also, I'm pro vaccine, but I am also pro autonomy, you know, specifically for the black community. You know, um, we, there is a, a huge, huge history of, uh, vile mistreatment, um, of black bodies in health systems. So, um, knowing that history, you know, everybody always brings up Tuskegee, but there are so many, <laughs> like, like so many other incidents, awful, cruel things, experiments that happen to Black people um, in the practice of medicine that are uh, unforgivable, unforgivable, right? So I understand people's hesitancy. I understand people like questioning about, you know, Operation Warp Speed and how do they get it done so fast and all of this. But um, for me, I was able to do my own research um, and I was able to feel comfortable with knowing that I was going to not only be uh, feeling safer for myself, but also for my loved ones. Um, so I'll jump in and say I I am hesitant to get the vaccine. I haven't gotten any doses um, yet, but I've been talking to my mom about it a lot. My mom works in the healthcare field. She's a nurse anesthetist. And, you know, she's gotten both doses and is encouraging me to, to get it. Um, for all the reasons Kyle mentioned, I won't repeat them, but, um, I think my hesitation is really coming with the speed of like how quickly it came out. Right. Um, and I just am, am not a hundred percent comfortable with that. Um, so I'm, I'm of the, I like to wait to see what happens and like things normalize and, um, then I'll, okay, make my appointment and go get it. Um, but yeah, I do have some hesitation just around the timing and, you know, um, I have additional questions, which we'll ask our, we'll ask, I'll ask our guests <laughs> once you get there, but yeah, that's how I'm feeling about it. So I'm, I'm not hesitant about getting the vaccine because I'm, I'm definitely a believer in vaccines. You know, some of the most major infections that we've had in our country were, were in, eradicated due to, um, vaccines. Um, and on top of that, um, I get a flu shot every year. Um, <laughs> but I think my issue with the vaccine is, I don't think my issue with the vaccine is I just want to wait until 
all of them come out or as many come out and I can look at all of them and say, mm, I'm most comfortable with this one, you know, instead of jumping the gun and having to get two shots, um, experience, you know, chills and all of that be put down when I couldn't gotten just one jab <laughs> and, you know, may not have experienced so many um, uh, different uh, reactions than uh, versus getting another. Um, I also just want to see the science of other countries and what they're doing in comparison to what we're doing here in the U.S. I've been following like a lot of what Cuba is doing and their vaccination process. Um, and for one of their vaccines, it's very similar to our, Astra our AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the Johnson & Johnson one. And so just like I'm like comparing comparison mode. And so I just want to wait. And, and, and see, you know, let me see. So we have three that are out now. There are more coming out. Let me see. And then maybe by the time I'm going back to work on CHOP's campus, I'm like, boom, I know which one I'm comfortable with. I'm going to go get that one. Um, and I think also the fact that I'm working from home, I'm not out and about as much. The, the, the pandemic has been a blessing for me. Not being, not having to be around a lot of people, um, getting sick, which is usually like this part of the year. I'm I I'm usually a fighting a cold right now. Every year I'm fighting a major cold or have a major cough. Uh, so working from home and going to places that I need to go, I'm fine with that. Um, I'm not in a rush uh, to to do anything. And then also having the opportunity to homeschool my daughter. Uh, while working from home has been the biggest blessing. I've always wanted that lifestyle and now I have it by force. So I'm not really ready to let it go <laughs> as of yet. Um, but I definitely, you know, have questions about the the campaigns around the vaccine right. to get black and brown people to get it. Yeah. That's what's making me really uncomfortable because if it's as safe and effective that as you say it is and that the science say, says it is, why come up with all of these stupid campaigns and, and disrespectful campaigns like that are strategically um, being campaigned to our communities, you know, and, and th those are things that bother me. No, for sure. And, and this is, you know, this is why you know, I, I don't want to kind of go down this, this path or this, like, you know, this wormhole, but this is why I appreciate, you know, us as a trio you know, because we're all on different points, you know, throughout the spectrum, right? And and rightfully so, right? You know, like <laughs> all of our feelings and opinions um, on the, the vaccine um, are completely valid, right? Uh, and, and, you know, well thought thought out and thought through, right? So um, I'm, I'm super appreciative to like have this conversation with you, um, with you two and, and also with our, our guests coming up. Um, and even to what you were saying, Tahira, is just that, it led me to to thinking, well, there are white people coming into poorer areas to get the vaccine, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, there are these campaigns that are super, super disrespectful to people of color and, you know, uh, including black people. Um, but would these campaigns even be necessary if the people who lived in those neighborhoods were able to have access. So I don't want to, you know, like we don't, we can, we can know, have these conversations, you know, but I, I do want to, I do want to kind of like toss it over to Ed um, so she can introduce our special guest. But um, yeah, no, no, thank, thank you all for, for letting, 
letting us know just where you are and, and, and how you're feeling about the vaccine. Definitely. Totally. Um, so uh, I guess without further ado, um, let's welcome, I have to say, all right, so growing up, going to CHOP, um, we, I saw two doctors. One with Dr. Um, Frank Pong and the other was Dr. Kim Smith-Whitley. And we're so excited to have Dr. Kim Smith-Whitley with us today um, to talk about um, all the things we're just discussing. You know, the COVID-19 vaccine, sickle cell, um, this, the marketing strategy behind some of these ideas um, and, and to get people to um, get the vaccine. But I think most importantly is like, we have questions, you know, and living with sickle cell, we have to be extra cautious. Um, so welcome, Dr. Kinsford Whitley. <laughs> excited to have you here. Thank yeah, you of course. for the invitation. I'm very excited to be able to address this topic with you all this evening. Yeah, I think that what would be great is for us to have an understanding on COVID-19 and how it's impacting, um, you know, of course the world, but specifically those living with sickle cell disease and also the COVID-19 vaccine. I think that would be, that would set like a good platform. And then we could kind of like delve into the nitty gritty, you know, you, you provide us with the facts. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll just ask the questions as they come along if that's okay. So thank you for not only inviting me to speak about this important topic, but to do it in this forum. You all are dear to my heart for many reasons. Um, we have all grown up together in many ways in the sickle cell community. And so I am excited to be able to address this important topic. We had concerns right from the beginning about um, the nature of the virus and its impact on individuals with sickle cell. I don't know if you all remember a influenza outbreak due to a variant H1N1 that yes, causes yes. swine flu. Yep. And yes. individuals with sickle cell disease who got sick during that um, phase of increased infections in the community had more acute chest syndrome. So we were very concerned because we had studies, particularly in um, children living with sickle cell disease, that um, made us concerned that if individuals with sickle cell disease had the infection, that they would be sicker from a respiratory standpoint. The other thing that concerned us is in the general population, we were seeing problems with clotting. And many of you know that I believe that individuals with sickle cell disease may have a predisposition to developing clots. They call them DVTs when they're in the extremities and then um, pulmonary emboli when they're in the lungs. And so we were very concerned um, that if we were seeing that in the general population, that individuals with sickle cell disease may have that problem more frequently. The other thing is that individuals with sickle cell, as they get older, may have problems with their kidneys and their renal function. And also in the infections in the general population, we were seeing people having um, kidney complications that were pretty serious. And so many of us were very concerned about how individuals with sickle cell disease were going to um, stay healthy um, with some of these infections compared to those without sickle cell. 
And so there were people in the community that got together and uh, said, we need to share experiences of individuals living with sickle cell who get the infection so we know how to take better care of them. So the Sickle Secure Registry popped up. Uh, it's a global registry for um, healthcare providers to put in information about their um, the people that they care for with sickle cell disease and COVID-19 um, so that we can get more information about those um, how those individuals do for the short-term period. And um, that database is updated pretty regularly and they have 715 um, reports on individuals with sickle cell disease and the infection. And so we look at problems like um, how often they need, individuals need to be on a breathing machine, how often individuals get clots, how often individuals have problems with their kidneys, whether or not they've had to require certain therapies, and then ultimately, how have they done? Have And we've seen everything from being able to manage COVID-19 infections from an outpatient standpoint to unfortunately having 19 deaths reported in that registry. Mm-hmm. So my message is, is that when I look at this information, the thing that disturbs me the most is I can't tell who's going to do well and who's not going to do well. So we know there's certain features. If you are older, you have a higher likelihood of not having a good outcome or having more complications. But other than that, there's very little we know. So it's unpredictable how an individual with sickle cell disease is going to do with a COVID-19 infection. Because of that unpredictability, I say we need to do everything to prevent the infection possible. So all of the things that we know, wearing a mask, physical distancing, good hand hygiene, avoiding large crowds, all of those things are very important for individuals living with sickle cell disease. And I've heard you all already talk about practicing some of those things. But for me and for the Medical and Research Advisory Committee of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, we felt compelled too to make sure that individuals know that we are recommending the COVID-19 vaccines for individuals with sickle cell disease, primarily because we think that those vaccines will likely prevent you from getting the infection, or if you get the infection, will have a better outcome, you'll be less sick. And then um, the other thing that Kyle mentioned, and that's um, being able to protect your loved ones as well. And I think that we also know that there are things that the vaccine may allow us to do differently. And so the the CDC has recently stated that if you've had the vaccine, um, that it is okay or safer for you to be in an area of closeness where there's not a lot of ventilation. So in a home um, with another family who's also gotten the vaccine without wearing masks. And that's, that's big. Also, they say that it's safe for you to be in the household with a family who hasn't gotten the vaccine as long as there are no individuals who are high risk in that family. Um, And the other important thing for like working is that when you are exposed, you don't have to quarantine at the same same way. 
um, as long as you're not being um, around other individuals at high risk for getting COVID. So I think that those things are showing that the pendulum is starting to swing back towards having more freedom to um, be in the community without as much fear from infection. So I think the other thing I just want to mention is the reason that we can't go back to being fully without mask and without um, physical distancing and good hand hygiene is there variants out there. And I just want to spend a little time talking about these variants. And the variants develop, it's normal for vaccines to, viruses to replicate. And when viruses replicate over and over and over again, there are little differences that happen every time they do that. And if they have a variation that makes it more easy for them to infect people or bypass the immune system, they have a survival advantage. So it's almost a natural selection of these viruses that are smart enough to escape our therapies and our immune, natural immune system. And until we get a better understanding about the effectiveness of treatments for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 infections with monoclonal antibodies and other medications, or how well the vaccine works, at preventing those infections, I think it's wise for us to maintain all of those things that we know that we should be doing to limit our exposure to um, COVID-19. So that was probably a much longer answer. No, that was- That answered like a lot of my questions actually. Um, so is it safe to like think about the vaccine similar to like a flu shot? as in one flu shot per year and you're sort of covered or, I mean, I know things are still, still so new with COVID. Um, and I think we are going in that direction. We don't okay. have a lot of information on that yet, but we have those three vaccines that are out there now, Pfizer, which mm -hmm. is um, good and has been studied in individuals 16 and older and the Moderna and J&J. &J which are for those 18 and over. And um, the J&J &J vaccine has actually looked at two of the variants that we're most concerned about right now um, and found that the vaccine is effective um, for those two variants. And so what you're already thinking about, and I think is, is very likely, is that as these variants emerge, we may need to get a booster, mm -hmm. right, vaccine, that protects us against that variant. What we're very hopeful about is that this, these vaccines have been developed against something called the spike protein. Yeah. And the spike protein is responsible for allowing um, the, the virus to do what it needs to do to the cell in order to enter. And because we're not just using a piece of that spike protein, we're actually using a big, big, big representation of it. We're thinking that the small variations in that protein may not actually uh, bypass the ability of the immune system that's created by getting the vaccine to do its work. Um, but I think that this is gonna require close follow-up and close surveillance and try to make sure that these variants don't limit our ability to detect them. Like when we test for them, can we find them easily? 
Two, mm. they don't make us sicker and make it easier for us to get the infection. And three, that they don't um, allow us to treat or prevent um, in the ways that we're using with the monoclonal antibodies and the vaccines themselves. Okay. I know you kind of ran through the different types of vaccines, right? Is there one that is, I guess, more favored for sickle cell population versus, I know one is specifically for like, you know, individuals under 18, but between for the ones for adults, are, is there one that's more preferred? So I think that's a really good question. And I think that when you talk about vaccines and what is more preferred one over the other, we think of a lot of different things. And these vaccines vary in a couple of different ways. So one, we think about how effective they are in preventing severe disease. So you've heard about the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine protecting at 94 and 95% from severe um, illness or from symptomatic COVID infections, right? 100% for severe illness, but for symptomatic COVID um, and 94 to 95%. Um, and then how well they do in specific populations, how well were African-Americans represented, how well were individuals of various ages represented. Sometimes we look at the elderly as being very unique and the very young as being unique. So in the elderly population and those 65 and over, sometimes the vaccines are not as effective. So you need to look at that. And we really haven't started looking um, seriously beyond age 12 because a lot of the companies have already started doing research in that 12 to 16 to 18 year old group. But many of them are going down to six months in research in order to see how effective um, or if the immune, what dose is needed to get the same kind of immune response that we see in the adults. And so when you're comparing these, you also need to think about, well, the side effect profile, how many complications do individuals have when you do it? Um, also the um, timing of how well you're protected across a timeline, like, if you're only 50% protected with the first vaccine, how long is it gonna be until you get the second when you can boost that? So is it gonna be three weeks? Is it gonna be four weeks? Is it gonna be months? And so for the um, Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, I think that they're very equitable. Um, and when you look at them, except for the Pfizer can go down to age 16. Um, the thing about Pfizer is you have to really have a special type of freezer in wow. order to store it. All right. So you have to be in a negative 70, uh, which is not something you find in a home, is not something you find in a clinic. You really need to be in a facility, a medical facility or a specialized facility for that storage to get it. And then you have to thaw it and then you have to use it in a specific time. So it may not be as accessible, right? And then for the Moderna, you have to freeze it and then you can thaw it and use it in the regular situations. But for the J&J, &J, not so much, right? So I think that when you look at J&J &J and you say, well, it's only 74% in the mm -hmm. 70s against uh, protecting you from um, symptomatic COVID infections, but you say to yourself, well, but I got the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and it's not nearly that efficacious. So 
Do you know? So I think when you look at these vaccines, everybody is excited in the medical community about how effective they are. Yeah. And so it's very hard to pick on that. Um, with the J&J vaccine, we haven't seen, as, at least not reported, as many of those anaphylaxis reactions, yeah. but those reactions are, are rare. They're reporting like seven out of 11 to 14 million. So I think that when you have three vaccines that are this good, my thing is the best vaccine is the one that you can get the fastest, <laughs> right? And yeah, so yeah. when you think about it, um, if you were, had a decision to make where you really wanted to know that you were going to get the, immu the immunity that you need it faster, you may choose J&J &J because you may say to yourself, well, I don't have to go back and get a second vaccine. What's interesting about J&J &J is in studies, they're already testing to see if a second vaccine boost things even further. Mm. Um, so um, I think that that's one of the things that is powerful is that we really do have three good vaccines. There are two more coming, AstraZeneca and Novavax. When you think about vaccines, some people are more comfortable with technology that has been out there a long time. And the viral vectors are the technology that's been out there the longest uh, as opposed to the mRNA. So some people are a little hesitant about Moderna and Pfizer because it's on this mRNA technique um, based, but there are other mRNA vaccines that have been out there. And so I feel comfortable with that technology. But I think a lot of people use that also to discern whether or not they want to go with Moderna or Pfizer or with J&J. &J. Right. Mm. For, for the mRNA, uh, Dr. Kim, you just said that there are other uh, vaccines that have used that type of technology. Can you name some of those? Just so like our community is aware that if you've been vaccinated, you've probably already had that technology. So for the mRNA vaccines, I think the other one, so you mean for the J&J &J vaccine? Um, no, I'm just talking about, and, and um, overall, like if, if, what other vaccines? Seasonal, seasonal influenza vaccine. Okay, got it. Um, and um, also I want to say the varicella vaccine. Mm. Um, so there are certain ones that you can go and you can look at in different groups. Um, we don't have the inactivated viral ones yet. That's right. kind of like in a separate category. Um, but. I need to make sure that I give you all good information too. So I need to give you good examples of each one. And so I have to come back to that one. Varicella and the seasonal ones are, yeah. those are things that we know about. Like we right. at least heard of before. Mm -hmm. And also just like, I mean, I'm, I'm learning so much uh, right now, specifically about the efficacy, right? You know, because yeah. I saw the 70, whatever percentage and I was like, Psh. Nah, I'm, you know, I, I got, I got the, the Pfizer. I'm, you know, uh, 90, what I, I can do math, you know, but, but to know that, um, you know, it's, it's very different in terms of vaccinations, you know, and, and what that means for mm -hmm. us to protect ourselves is super, super important, you know, because here I'm out here thinking that, you know, I, I didn't wait for the 70 something percent, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I think that's like the long and the short of it is that um, these yeah. vaccines are um, very respected within the medical community. 
um, and you know, are, are hopefully will keep us safe from the virus. And, and the way that I would um, also address some of the, the concerns that were raised, particu particularly about Operation Warp Speed, yeah. I think that that was um, probably not the best terminology to use. When you look at vaccine development historically, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. So it takes a long time to raise money. Um, I think that the other thing that is problematic is recruitment into the different phases of the study, really trying to get um, individuals to participate. Um, that's a very slow process. So they put a lot of money into the development of these vaccines. I don't know if you all realize it, but before um, the Pfizer even got um, FDA emergency use authorization, mm -hmm. they were fields and fields of football fields stored of vaccines ready to go. Yeah. So that whole thing of being able to afford manufacturing a vaccine alongside waiting for FDA approval is almost unheard of. Mm -hmm. So these kinds of steps were not bypassing safety. They were mainly accelerating a process through money to make sure that the manufacturing was there, to make sure that the subject recruitment was there. And so those were the parts that were supplemented that speed it up, but not the safety part. I think, I think that's a, a key, you know, lesson. Um, most people think it's like, oh, it happened so fast and it's, so it's not safe, right? That's an automatic conclusion. Yeah. Um, so I want to go a little bit deeper, um, Dr. Kim, and talk about like, um, if an individual is already immunocompromised, you know, had a kidney transplant or any other type of, um, surgery that kind of puts them into that bucket. Um, is it counterintuitive to expose them to COVID through this um, vaccination while they already have a, a lower um, you know, immune system? So that's a really, really good question. And one of the things that's very different about this vaccine is how we make it. And some vaccines, we take the virus itself we change the virus to try to make it not as active mm -hmm. and then expose individuals to an inactive form of that vaccine in order to get an immune response. Would that be this called is, an attenuated? Exactly, exactly. And so this technology is fascinating in that for the mRNA vaccines, they just put it in a, in a fat droplet. Mm. And they ask for the message in that fat droplet to go into the cells. It asks the cell itself to make the spike protein. Remember, the spike protein is the protein that allows entry of the virus itself. It's not the full virus. Got it. Your body then recognizes that little protein as being unlike themselves. And so your immune system starts making things like antibodies and memory beat all these different cells in your immune system so that it makes antibody to the spike protein. Okay. So individuals are actually not being exposed to the virus itself. 
So I actually think it's very safe for those who may be immunocompromised in some way um, in order to like build. Now, the the questions sometimes that I get asked and I don't really know the answer to 100% yet is does everybody get the same kind of immune response Mm -hmm. to the vaccine all the time? And I think that what we need to understand over time is how those individuals respond and are they making the same degree of protection that everybody who may not be immunocompromised is. And I think that we really don't know. We know that it's it's good enough to be better than not getting the vaccine, mm-hmm. but we haven't done those um, really elegant comparison studies that we may need to do. It's why I'm watching our community so closely. Um, I really want to understand those that have gotten the vaccine. Remember, you can get the vaccine and we're recommending the vaccine even if you have had a COVID infection. Okay. And that's because the elegance with which this vaccine is made to be able to produce that protection, that spike protein, that antibody protecting you, it even makes it better than your own natural immunity. So we are even advising if you've had COVID-19 infection, we still want individuals to get the vaccine for that reason. And so I'm hoping that with that, we will understand how individuals living with sickle cell disease um, are reacting to the vaccine, how they're exposed to the vaccine, if they have an open conversation with their medical team so that they know when they get it, we know what to look for, and then we can track what the exposure is and how well they're able to fight off um, symptomatic COVID-19 infections in the future. Um, No, that, what a compelling case. (laughs) You know, right? I, I, I'm just like, man, I think I'm gonna get my vaccine tomorrow. And I'm right? Saying. I'm like, all right, got mine. I want to go and get a nut. Like, should I get should I get those three? Like, what's going on? You know, um, no, for sure. But I want that protection, protection. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think I feel like we could we could go on and on. I do want to ask like maybe one or two uh, two more questions before mm-hmm. before we let Dr. Smith Whitley go. Um, the one that I I really want uh, to kind of uh, just be answered is in terms of vectors, right? And and specifically, I believe it's AstraZeneca that's using an HIV vector. Um, and what does that mean? Like, it, can you break it down to us? Um, are are they putting HIV, you know, the vi- like the HIV virus in these vaccines? Um, is it possible for us to, you know, get HIV? What does that whole process mean? Because I think that people hear, you know, HIV. Um, or, you know, other type of vectors being used and are saying, you know what, absolutely not. I don't want that to go into my body. Right. Well, I think this is a really good question. And I, I liken it to a message in an envelope. And I think you all have heard me use this analogy before. Um, but really, what we want to do is take an envelope, totally make sure that that envelope doesn't have anything that can actually cause problems. So in some of the vaccines, we use an adenovirus, which can cause Mm -hmm. a common cold. That's the J&J vaccine, right? And sometimes we use the HIV vaccine, I mean, the HIV virus, because it's very nice to have 
the, um, the way, understand the way that the virus gets in the cell. But just because we use a piece of the virus doesn't mean that we're using a piece of the virus that causes the infection. Right. So it's almost like having an envelope without a full stamp on it. It doesn't have all the machinery it needs to actually get in and, and replicate, right? So when you actually use the piece of these viruses, you're actually taking the message from the spike protein. So you're saying, okay, virus, on your back, put the spike protein, and we just want to use the machinery that you use to get into the cell, not to replicate, just to get into the cell. Help us get into the cell. So you put, you know, the um, spike protein code, the message on the back, that's on your backpack for the virus. You get into the cell, right? And then you take the backpack off, you open up the bag and the message gets out to make the spike protein. There's no message in there to make HIV. There's no message in there to make adenovirus. And so you're actually not putting that individual at risk to get that viral infection. No, thank you. I think that's, I mean, super helpful the the visualization too you know just thinking about an envelope you know and and what that looks like and um i I know that even when i first heard that and this was a maybe a couple of years ago before you know COVID 19 and everything in terms of some some sickle cell treatment um you know you raise an eyebrow (laughs) yeah you know you you raise an eyebrow and you know uh i I had questions um so hopefully that is you know uh uh I feel like it's a, a good enough explanation of how that vector is is used. Um, so Kyle, you bring up a really good point too, and this is another point that I want to make because when you think about mRNA and you think about the interaction with DNA, there are also concerns that people think that this is going to alter their genetic material. And so, yeah. so I want to also just emphasize that when you are um, it's like being in a library and you have your whole DNA and you want to go just get one book out of that library and copy that Mm -hmm. message. Right. And so you're not going in there and altering, you're going in there and copying a message and then coming out. Like you're going in, grabbing a book, taking some notes and putting the book, you know, right back. You're not messing with anything. You're just taking notes. And so those concepts I think are really important to understand um, because the mRNA vaccine development has been going on for a long, long time. It didn't just come from the pipe break. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's sometimes not talked about. And the other thing I just want to mention too is I agree. I don't believe in vaccine shaming. And I think that individuals from different communities have reasons for low vaccine confidence that are very, very well-founded. And I think that when we talk about why individuals with sickle cell disease, why this is so important to me is because communities of color have been greatly impacted by COVID-19 infections. And so that means that if you have an individual coming from communities of color, 
then their environment is a different environment, right? And so I think that we need to talk about not only access to the vaccine, but we also need to talk about access to good information. And I think that that's the basis for your podcast is to make sure that people have good information so that they can make their own individual personal decisions. And that is an important thing. It is a personal decision and we need to respect that. 100%. No, 100%. I think that that is, you know, first of all, the metaphors. Yep. <laughs> like the, 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 the metaphors are just. They make everything just so clear. It's like, wow. like I'm going into a library. I am yeah. going to the I need library. One <laughs> just one. I got a copy. Take some notes. You know? And I'm slide it back. <laughs> exactly. So, no, no Dr. Dr. Smith Whitley, um, I think that is a great point for us to kind of pause this conversation because I feel like we could go on and on and on. Um, But thank you. Thank you so much. I want to encourage our listeners um, to please send us questions um, at info at crescentfoundationscd.org. If you have any other questions in terms of COVID-19 or the vaccines, please send them to us. We'll send them over to Dr. Smith Whitley um, because, you know, we don't have those answers. You know, she, she's the one who has to, facilitate those answers, but we want to, we want to answer any other questions that we may not have brought up tonight, but um, wow, that was, that was incredible. Thank you. It was. No, thank you. Thank you for bringing experts. <laughs> well, um, so we are nearing the end of, of our podcast. Um, what we want to do is before we, you know, close it out, um, I, you know, am a, a person who, just likes words and, and leadership and, and, you know, a lot of different quotes as well. So we'll have like a quote for each podcast to, to kind of close it out on. And I found this quote, this quote by Coretta Scott King um, that says, the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassion, compassionate actions of its members. And I think that this speaks so true to our conversation tonight, especially uh, in terms of, you know, where it is you stand, you know, in terms of, are you gonna get the vaccine? Are you hesitant about getting a vaccine? Are you just waiting to see how things unfold? Uh, what have you? Um, I think that we need to extend that compassion to others and that understanding and that grace and, you know, respect wherever point that they're at within their journey in terms of understanding this virus and the vaccine and how it can impact them and their loved ones. So um, let's let's show, show some more compassion, y'all. Um, uh, know that we, all three of us, uh, all four of us, including Dr. Smith Whitley, are, are compassionate individuals and um, are here to, to hear you out, you know, and, and to support you in whatever decision you make. So um, that wraps up our podcast for today. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram um, at Crescent Foundation SCD. Uh, on Facebook, we are Crescent Foundation, a sickle cell initiative. Uh, and Twitter, uh, we are Crescent FSCD. Uh, we want to thank all of you, you know, all of our Crescent community uh, for listening. Um, and for those living with SCD, please be sure to stay as well as possible, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, and we will catch y'all on the next episode.